listening to Living with ADHD and CPTSD, available on Apple and wherever you get your podcasts. of Living with ADHD and CPTSD. Today's episode is going to be a CPTSD episode and we will discuss hypervigilance, something that a lot of people with CPTSD and PTSD deal with on a regular basis whenever they have re-existing or triggers for trauma that they have experienced in their past. So I am going to discuss this with everybody today. Um, This is going to be, of course, my YouTube podcast, and this will also be transcribed and rebroadcast in my regular podcast through Apple and other podcast platforms on, you know, like audio, radio. Uh, Anyways, okay. So, understanding hypervigilance and trauma, coping with the effects of PTSD and CPTSD. Hypervigilance and trauma create some of the most troubling life problems. Sleeplessness, worry, always waiting for the other shoe to drop. For the longest time that you can remember, you've always felt on edge. You always are looking for something that could go wrong. The constant scanning of hypervigilance you feel keeps you from ever completely relaxing. So you keep up your guard no matter the situation. Whether you are at the grocery store shopping or even at home watching TV, Your defenses are always on. Loud noises startle you easily and you have a tendency to get defensive quickly when talking to other people. Why is this happening? You are experiencing hypervigilance, which is likely a result of having endured some form of trauma and dealing with complex post-traumatic stress disorder or just PTSD as well. Dealing with hypervigilance due to trauma can be frustrating, but this is treatable. Understanding hypervigilance and trauma. If you have ever experienced trauma in your past, then you might still be coping with it now in the present. When you are exposed to trauma, the goal of your mind and body is to keep you as physically safe as possible. Thus, you go into defensive mode and become very sensitive to any perceived threat. Eventually, these experiences cause you to be alert and on guard all the time, anticipating any potential danger. And that translates into hypersensitivity or hypervigilance. Some examples of situations where a person may be hypersensitive are in PTSD. When driving, you might be hypervigilant because of the car accident that you recently experienced. You jump at every perceived wrong move from another vehicle or even avoid certain routes. CPTSD. If you hear a loud noise such as a door slamming, it may remind you of when you were young and your parents were angry. The sound was always the sign something bad was going to happen. Symptoms of hypervigilance. People who are experiencing hypervigilance due to past trauma may show the following signs and symptoms. Physical signs of hypervigilance may be increased heart rate, pupil dilation, perspiration, fast and shallow breathing. 
There are also behavioral, behavioral signs <coughs> excuse me, that might indicate hypervigilance, such as catastrophizing situations and always expect the worst to occur, having trouble being in crowded situations, appearing jumpy, getting startled easily, and seeming to always distracted, be distracted because they are assessing for potential threats. The problem with hypervigilance. Of course, there are, there are several problems connected to hypervigilance. For one, your reaction to a situation isn't proportionate to what is happening. In other words, there is, a, there is a disconnect, a kind of misunderstanding between what is actually going on outside and what is happening for you inside. That's because your brain and body are still trying to protect you from more trauma. Even if the trauma happened years ago, whether it was PTSD or CPTSD, the effect is still the same. At best, your hypersensitivity makes things awkward. At worst, it can cause you to have very strained relationships with, with other people, even those close to you. So then, what can you do to cope with your trauma and overcome your hypervigilance? For many trauma survivors, hypervigilance can delay the onset of sleep but it can also prevent them from sleeping deeply and can leave a person feeling unrefreshed after a night's sleep. Brain research on hypervigilance and insomnia indicates that for some, a part of the brain called the insula can be overactive. This leads to heightened awareness of body sensations and overactivation of emotions. Both of these make sleep challenging. This research demonstrates just how valuable treatment model it Model modalities such as neurofeedback are when it comes to trauma recovery. Safe and natural treatments for PTSD and CPTSD hypervigilance. The good news is that there are natural approaches to treating trauma that do not involve taking medication. They utilize the power and neuroplasticity of your brain to heal itself. One way is through EMDR eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy. This technique allows your brain to reorganize itself and successfully file away traumatic memories so that they are no longer distressful. Another method is harnessing the power of your brain through neurofeedback therapy. Treatment includes a therapist studying EEG readouts of your brain waves to see how you might train your brain and your nervous system to relax. With help, you can teach your brain to have different responses to stress or trauma and to heal. Hypervigilance and trauma travel as a pair. Hypervigilance and trauma are intimately connected. While hypervigilance may be your body and mind's natural reaction to help you cope with trauma, it's actually one of the most common symptoms of PTSD, PSTD, PTSD, they misspelled that, and CPTSD. It's a trauma symptom makes it hard to deal with life. Boy, this article has some spelling errors. I apologize. However, with professional help and PTSD therapy, you can finally be at ease. Please contact if you would like more information. Oh, never mind. Okay. So let's keep going. Hypervigilance. The description is a tendency to constantly scan your environment for threats. You're hyper aware of your surroundings in a way that makes you feel tense, anxious, and constantly on guard. 
For sufferers of CPTSD, hypervigilance often means being hyper aware of things connected with their traumatic experiences. Some examples. If you were traumatized by people who could be nice one day and highly abusive the next, you might be wary of nice people, always searching for signs they'll turn on you. If you've been emotionally neglected, you'll search for signs that you are, you're boring someone and that they're itching to get away from you. If you were abused and punished for the smallest mistake, you'll search your own behavior and actions for signs that you're less than perfect. Seen this way, hypervigilance is a normal reaction to an abnormal and highly traumatic situation. It lets us notice possible threats at once. Back then, in the situation that caused our CPTSD, this was a vital survival skill. The problem with hypervigilance is that it doesn't go away on its own. Even when we're safe, we're still looking at the world around us as if we're under threat. The level of awareness is exhausting and stressful. Many of us aren't even conscious of our own hypervigilance. We develop it as children and it's become our normal level of awareness. We get through our day at work or through a party without any problems, only to collapse once we're at home and by ourselves. So utterly drained that all we can do is veg out on the sofa and watch TV. People who live with CPTSD survivors often feel that they must walk on eggshells since the slightest less than absolutely affection facial expression can cause massive anxiety. What not to do? Don't feel guilty for feeling drained and exhausted after you've been in a situation that cranked your threat scanning radar up to 11. Don't tell yourself that you shouldn't be like that. CPTSD is an injury, you're suffering from its effects. Don't lose hope, things can get better. Don't jump to conclusions and don't assume that everything that feels threatening is threatening. Someone's disapproving looks might simply be caused by a splitting headache. What to do? Allow yourself some downtime after stressful situations. Many of us prefer activities that don't require us to be at all alert and aware, like vegging out on the couch and watching TV. Limit your stressors and pick your battles. If every social situation is stressful to you, try shopping on the internet. Educate yourself about emotional flashbacks. If it's at all possible, without triggering additional anxiety, try to see which situations are very stressful and hard to manage which are so-so and which are relatively easy. Knowing which situations are hard to cope with makes it easier to prepare for them in advance and to plan for enough downtime afterwards. Knowing which situations are easy to manage lets you road test coping skills in a relatively safe environment. Once something is proven to work for you, you can then try applying it to middling situations. Such coping skills might be finding things that give you a reliable sense of safety, wearing shades, wearing makeup, wearing headphones, always carrying a mobile phone and enough money for a taxi, always carrying a bag with food, water, and a first aid kit, asking a friend to call you during a party so that you can answer the phone, and if necessary, pretend to be called away, carrying something that feels good and comforting to you, such as chocolate, a souvenir, prayer beads, a cuddly toy. Consciously find an alternative, realistic explanation for things that feel threatening. 
This person isn't giving me a disapproving look. They're simply startled by the squeaky wheels of my shopping trolley. Attention focusing. Instead of, of, ex of examining every single person in a shop for threats, focus on a few important things. The shelf you need to get to, the cashier, and so on. Attention retraining. Try to focus your attention on positive cues in your environment. For example, signs that someone is kind, friendly, attentive, non-aggressive, and so on. Limiting your overall level of awareness. For example, by wearing headphones and playing music, by reciting poetry not out loud, only in your head, or by visualizing a relaxing place, like a sunset on a beach or a snowy landscape. Another thing to try might be mindful deep breathing. If you have an overactive imagination, see if you can use that to keep yourself busy in a pleasant way, like imagining two pirates having a duel in the middle of the shop. That actually sounds kind of fun. All right, so, <clears throat> yeah, hypervigilance. My own experiences with this are pretty varied. I know that I have definitely become hypervigilant in situations where I perceive the possibility of a threat or danger due to the fact that I've experienced that exact or similar danger multiple times. And the thing is, you have to, it, it's not like you can just convince yourself in that moment that it ain't gonna happen. You know, like it's not that simple. If it were, we wouldn't really be having the complex CPTSD as we are aware of. It's the fact that we get so caught up and so triggered by it that it overtakes us. We get parts that come online that believe we're in danger and so they're trying to protect us. And of course this is the worst thing for someone who has it is that they don't realize it. They don't they're not themselves. They're they're definitely triggered and they're blended in with their system, with their with their child parts or the parts that they have. And their parts aren't believing that they're safe because they don't have connectivity and communication with the adult. The adult, of course, could either be there and not able to speak because the parts are too like advanced or too uh, in control for the adult to take to come back or the parts simply don't trust the adult and so they're not able to like the adult is not able to reel them in and say hey okay i realize that this is a stressful dangerous situation but the reality is that i'm safe if they're not able to gain their tr the trust of their parts it's extremely difficult to overcome the consistency that comes with this like if you're if you are realizing that the situation like any sort of reminder right like any sort of similarities between the actual trigger and something like a movie like watching a movie with a scene any kind of a scene that has trauma or violence or aggressive behavior or that can remind you of of a trigger that you've experienced in your past you suddenly become hypervigilant and 
you're like on edge or you're super like aware of everything you know you're just it, it it kind of you know how have you seen movies where they show a former like a like a an army um captain or or a, a soldier from the army who's been out of the army uh, he's no he's no longer at the war and he's walking down the street and a, a car happens to drive by and all of a sudden it backfires because of a you know like the the muffler goes Poof, and it sounds like a gunfire the the person who has the CPTSD or the PTSD they suddenly th- they, they get triggered thinking that they're back in the war and that they're being fired at so they're going to do everything they can to gain to get safety or they're going to relive the horrors of the war that they were in and hallucinate or, or picture things that aren't really there but because they're experiencing the trigger they don't know that it is a present day it's the present time in their life not however five years ago or ten years ago when they were at war you know in experiencing the war now for someone with cptsd as well if they've been a person who has suffered from sexual abuse or physical violence from a parent or from a loved one or, or in a situation that's similar if they experience whether it's like a movie or seeing somebody else having it occur to them, it will trigger or is very likely to trigger them into reliving their own trauma and it can make them freeze up and completely get stuck, like just be traumatized to the point where they're not able to function and often their child parts will come online and behave in a way that is their intentions of protecting and and keeping that the adult out of danger because it's it's the only way it knows how to make it safe. So, if you're by yourself and you're out, you know, about in the city, or if you're at home and you're watching a TV show, or you're listening to the radio, or something visually, or even like sound, like you hear it, triggers you. You're gonna be blended and triggered with your system and you're re-experiencing trauma from your past. So you need to either zone out or you're dissociating in order to try and recover because it's just too much. If you are experienced in doing your therapy, like your therapy work, whether it's like doing a CBT therapy with yourself or doing processing, you can try to update those parts or that part and convince them or show them that you are indeed safe or you know tell them that everything's okay you know that yeah this was a a, a difficult scary situation but the reality is, is that it isn't that date anymore you're not in the past anymore it is today and you're safe and the adult is making you safe and it was awful what happened but you're safe and that's what you got to get to when you're doing your processing or you're doing other means of therapy in order to, to feel good or to, you know, to recover from uh, a triggered experience, um, like a re- reliving your traumatic event as if it's today, like the, the event is now instead of 
in your the safety of your environment or or with a partner who loves you obviously okay let's um continue shall we okay actually before we do that i'm going to take a quick break and then when i come back we will continue this discussion on hypervigilance okay talk to you soon Welcome back to Living with ADHD and CPTSD. Again, today's episode is hypervigilance when it comes to CPTSD. Okay, so I have a little bit more information. This is a slightly different area that they're going to discuss. This is more about different disorders, um, some of the symptoms, and then the neuroscience so of hypervigilance. So this is a little different, but it's very helpful, and it is... I definitely recommend if you can search, like I'll, I will put this into the episode, the link towards this particular um, website that gives me the information. I think it'd be very helpful and um, informative for you, the listener. All right, let's get started. Okay. Hypervigilance involves a heightened state of awareness and the readiness to be ready to run away or hide at any moment. Okay, some of this might have been repeated, but it gets into the details. Okay, for primates, including man, this is an adaptive evolutionary trait designed to keep us out of or to run from danger. However, hypervigilance becomes a life-altering problem when it interferes with the ability of a person to form lasting intimate relationships or even to function normally in society. Hypervigilance itself is not a mental health condition, but it mostly it mostly def- definitely is part of many trauma-related disorders. Experiencing hypervigilance is like li- excuse me, like living ready for nuclear war to start at any moment. Hypervigilance is associated with the following mental health disorders. This list is not all-inclusive. CPTSD, PTSD, panic disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, schizophrenia, personality disorders, borderline personality disorder, dissociative identity disorder, and mood disorders. A person becomes hypervigilant during childhood after exposure to life events, including the death of a parent, death of a parent, witnessing violence, or being the victim of violence, or any situation where the child feels in danger. The symptoms of of hypervigilance, of course, we've gone over this, and I'll just give this is just a few more. Um, Being constantly on red alert, people who experience chronic hypervigilance feel 24-7 that danger lurks around every corner. Attuned to the sights, smells, sounds, and even the location of others, those of us who are hypervigilant never rest. I can tell you from experience that always being on the alert is both frustrating and exhausting. An increased startle reflex. People with hypervigilance may jump at any sudden noise or movement. Loud voices can send a person experiencing hypervigilance into a spin, causing them to dissociate and or have the feeling they need to flee. Being in an unusual situation or place can exacerbate the already overactive startling startle response, so dating or being close to someone is nearly impossible. Increased Epinephrine-induced body sensations. 
Epinephrine, also otherwise known as adrenaline, is a stress hormone that is necessary to pre prepare our bodies for the fight-flight-freeze responses. However, in some who are, who are hypervigilant, this important adaptation becomes a severe problem. When alerted to danger that is either real or imagined, a body of a person who is hypervigilant has their body going into hyperdrive, pushing by the secretions of adrenaline and cortisol, another important stress hormone, into their bloodstream. This exaggerated response causes the hypervigilant to experience increased heart rate, elevated blood pressure, feeling the need to run away, or to dissociate away from whoever or whatever caused the response. Obviously, if one experiences these bodily responses, the first thing one might do is avoid any situation that may trigger it. This may include meeting new people and forming relationships. All right, now the neuroscience. It is not enough to know you have hypervigilance. Understanding what is happening in the brain can help alleviate some of the distress you may feel about having it. It is well known that experiencing childhood trauma, aka adverse childhood experiences, causes extensive adverse brain changes that affect us into adulthood. We know this because a numerous of numerous magnetic resonance imaging, MRI, and other neurological studies visualizing the damage. We're going to look at some of the important brain regions and how they become damaged by childhood trauma. The corpus callosum. The corpus callosum is a thick band of nerve fibers that act as the wiring of your brain. It is responsible for the communications between the two halves of your brain, including the transference of motor, sensory, and cognitive information. The wiring that makes up the corpus callosum depends on a fatty substance called myelin, a mixture of proteins and lipids forming the insulation over the wires. Like electrical wiring you have in your home, if the insulation on the wires is intact, the electrical signal will propagate well and the appliance will work just fine. However, if the electric wire has broken or missing insulation, the signal going from the wall socket to the appliance will experience a short. This leaves the appliance receiving intermittent or absence of signal. If not corrected, the missing insulation will cause the device to not work properly, quit working altogether, or cause a fire. A similar thing happens with the wiring of the corpus callosum. If the myelin covering the wiring is in good condition, the right and left sides of your brain can talk, allowing you to experience normal moods and greater mental stability. However, if the myelin is missing or damaged, your brain will experience a short or intermittent with intermittent or missing signals propagating between the hemispheres of your brain. This means you will experience mood and mental health problems. A study published by Joukowsky et al. used MRI acquisition imaging to see how much childhood maltreatments affects the white matter, which is corpus callosum of the brain. Their study found neglect and abuse had adversely affected the corpus callosa of the children they had studied. Not only did neglect or abuse make the white matter in their subjects smaller, but the size of this vital brain region was greatest in children who were younger when the neglect or abuse began. It is clear Adverse childhood experiences making our brains misfire and causing a myriad, of, a myriad of different mental health disorders and hypervigilance. 
<clears throat> to make it clear, the problems survivors experience forming and keeping healthy long-term relationships because of hypervigilance are directly correlated to the childhood trauma we experienced. It is not, nor was it ever our fault. With the wiring of our brain damaged, we experience hypervigilance and a lot of other problems that keep us from seeking out and forming healthy long-term relationships. The amygdala and the hippocampus. The amygdala and the hippocampi of our brains work together to help us remember events by categorizing them for storage with their associated emotions. They are also responsible for our response to danger, whether it is real or perceived. The amygdala is a primitive structure located deep inside our brain. It is always on the alert to danger and is the first part of our brain to respond when it perceives danger is present. When triggered, the amygdala begins a cascade of physical responses by shooting chemical signals to the other parts of the brain that releases cortisol and adrenaline to ready our bodies to fight, flight, freeze. Also, the amygdala plays a vital role in memory consolidation. It is impossible to form long-term memories without the cooperation of the amygdala. I hope I'm saying that right. I apologize if I am not. The hippocampus controls memory storage in the brain. Memories consist of chemical signatures that the amygdala and the hippocampus together create to make memories ready for storage and retrieval. However, when overwhelmed, the amygdala and hippocampi of children who are experiencing adverse childhood experiences change in size and do not function well. Groundbreaking studies using magnetic resonance imaging, or MRI, like this one from 2012, performed on veterans in the United States, showed clear evidence that exposure to extreme trauma during war decreased the size and functions of both their amygdala and hippocampi. Spurred on by such findings, researchers turned next to survivors to see if their experiences of childhood neglect or violence had done the same to their brains. The results were dumbfounding. One such study, reported in the American Journal of Psychiatry, studied the volumes of the amygdala and the hippocampi of subjects living with a diagnosis of dissociative identity disorder, a condition caused by severe childhood maltreatment. They found the hippocampal volume of their subjects was 19.2% smaller and the amygdala volume was 31.6% smaller than, their, than their, their control of healthy adults. What these results and others like them mean is that because of the atrophy of the amygdala and the hippocampi of people who have experienced trauma in childhood, we face problems with our memory and the way our amygdala responds to perceived and real danger. The resulting hypervigilance leaves us in, a, in the living hell of the constant flood of stress hormones into our bodies, readying us for the flight from a danger that does not exist. Pulling it all together, as survivors, we face a myriad of different problems in the formation of long-term and healthy relationships. Hypervigilance is one of the most devastating of these reactions. Understanding why we react the way we do to situations and people is key to overcoming the handicaps caused by hypervigilance. All right, so here we go.
that's a more scientific, detailed um, discussion and description of what happens to a child's mind when they and then they develop into childhood or into adulthood. Excuse me. <laughs> so people who suffer from the neglect and the abuse their brains obviously don't develop the same way that a neurotypical person who doesn't suffer the abuse as a child is diff like the brain is different so this basically explained to us that our brains don't develop the same way and are more susceptible to damage and the inability to like make memories or to experience and handle the trauma or the experiences as well as someone who is neurotypical. And I can definitely say that this sounds like something that's going on in my brain. It, I admit it's not as severe as some other people out there that suffer from CPTSD and PTSD, but it definitely is something that I'm sure is going on or had, had been going on when I was younger. Now, it does make me think if my memory problems that I am experiencing have something to do with this. It is, I guess, a good possibility. Um, it would be something I'd have to look into more in order to truly understand if it is coming from the CPTSD that I experienced when I was a child and in my teenage years. So, I think what we get out of this if when you look at all the articles and the information that I've explained on my, from my own experiences is we definitely need help from a therapist or a specialist to learn how to not overcome or avoid necessarily feeling hypervigilance when a stressful or traumatic situation occurs but how to handle it and overcome the feelings and the experiences that we get when it occurs I don't think we'll necessarily like I'll necessarily ever be fully healed to the point where it will never occur in my in the rest for the rest of my life but if it does occur in the future I would have a much better chance or an and opportunity to be able to deal with it much better and suffer less traumatic re-experiences or triggers and the feelings that and like the physical and mental feelings that occur from the trauma when you re-experience and you get re-triggered from an event from the out like an outside event that that makes it happen basically the th the therapy and doing the work on a regular basis clearly will help and make it you know less likely to occur or when it does occur to be less uh, intense and feel safer you know during and after when like the hypervigilance is occurring but the best way is to seek therapy and discuss the situations with the therapist and learn 
how and why it occurs and learn what you can do to help manage it more successfully as you are as you become more familiar with it and all the signs and the symptoms that that are that happen when you are experiencing the trigger and you become hyper vigilant doesn't matter when or where but you know the therapy is really the only real way to help us get better and help us heal and move forward in our lives instead of always falling back into experiences of a trigger and re-experiencing our traumatic events it for those who have had it really severe it's extremely difficult to live a normal life because everything especially if you're around those people or you see people dishing out the violence whether it's a mental like aggressive physical danger uh, abuse to that person it's very difficult for them to get by without experiencing their own trigger and feeling all that trauma over again and again and again so getting the help from the therapist is really the only way to start the healing process so that you can have a better chance of living a normal or a more healthier normal life than if you didn't yeah it it is one of those things that you for especially for hypervigilance it can definitely make life a living hell if you don't get help it's pretty straightforward and it's very obvious um, but for those who suffer from CPTSD or PTSD it's not that simple and it's not that obvious which is a lot of times why they need the help from a therapist to recognize it and to try and move forward and heal and understand the symptoms and the signs that it's occurring okay well that's all for today um i hope you have enjoyed this episode next week there is a special episode i have a special guest for my adhd channel uh, or um, portion of my podcast i have a special guest he's from twitter his name is jay he lives in ontario canada he too has adhd and was recently diagnosed and i get to discuss with him his own point of view and experiences with having adhd and going through a diagnosis and how it affects him on a daily basis and i am looking for some guests to come on for my cptsd portion of this podcast and if you would like to be on my show and discuss cptsd any way you want any kind of subject topic by all means contact me you can email me you can go to my website and contact me there the address for the website is www.livingwithadhdandcptsd.ca there's twitter you can contact me there my handle is at adhd and cptsd on my website there is a way you can support me if you click on buy me a coffee or go to ko-fi.com you can donate to me either a single amount or a monthly amount 
it really helps support me and my abilities to make these podcasts week after week as I do have to pay for software and other programming in order to make this possible. Um, give me a follow. Subscribe to my podcast. Go to Twitter and follow me. Um, I'd love to chat. There are ways of talking to me, as of course. Uh, the thing, of course, I almost forgot is I do have another podcast that has just started. It is called Literally Autistic. It is about my experiences of learning and handling and then event, you know, knowing that I've got autism and I am on the autistic spectrum. It is a different kind of podcast and it comes out every Tuesday. So there is one episode already out available for to for my audience to listen to. So I definitely recommend checking it out. It is on Apple Podcasts and once again it is called Literally Autistic. Okay, everybody, that's today's episode. I shall see you next week. Have a good week, everybody. Bye for now.